You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is our review of Hellboy. On an island off the coast of Scotland, something was summoned from the depths of hell. Something that would end mankind. And this uh, thing you worried about, did it show up? Oh, yes. You did. We face every threat there is, and yet you take me in. Hello, son. You made me a goddamn weapon. Where's my fucking violin? Listen up, ladies and gentlemen. Out there, there's a fifth century sorceress who wants to bring down the curtain on London and the world. Great homework. Why do you fight for those who hate and fear you? You were meant for this. Out of the ashes, new Eden will emerge. Okay, I'd appreciate a prophecy with more relatable stakes. Haven't we got to be saving the world or something? Yeah, okay, come on. Get your game face on. Yeah, come on, let's do this. Because I'm a Capricorn and you're fucking nuts! Alright everyone, you were just listening to the trailer for Hellboy and the story is as follows. Based on the graphic novels by Mike Mignola, Hellboy, caught between the worlds of the supernatural and human, battles an ancient sorceress bent on revenge. The film is starring David Harbour, Mila Jonovich, Ian McShane, Sasha Lane, Daniel Day Kim, and Thomas Hayden Church. It is directed by Neil Marshall, written by Andrew Cosby. Joining me for this unfortunate podcast review, I have Josh Parham. Hello, hello. All right, Josh, you ready? What do you know for me? <laughs> oh, man. You know, it was interesting because this is the kind of movie that I don't, I don't look at Hellboy when I say to myself, oh, this is a chore so much i don't even consider it to be a chore afterwards i actually look at hellboy as kind of a new gold standard Mm. it's a new gold standard within hollywood it is legitimately now a movie that i could forever cite as this is what you're not supposed to do when trying to reboot a large blockbuster franchise (laughs) And I have that now forever in my mind. <laughs> yeah, it, it's a pretty shiny example of what not to do. Oh, my God. Like, it checked off so many boxes to the point that I, I couldn't... It wasn't like Serenity earlier this year where it was so bad that I found myself having, like, a great time. There were just many long segments in this where, honestly, I was just very disengaged. Extremely disengaged. And I've heard a lot about 
behind the scenes. Neil Marshall wasn't involved so much. He actually got locked out of the editing room. There were like 16 producers on this movie. I've heard like all this stuff. So it just sounds like a complete mess. And that totally translates to the screen. And we're going to go into details as to why. Suffice to say, Josh, I don't have to ask you what you thought of Hellboy. I know what you thought of Hellboy because let's just face it, without looking at your social media reactions, without looking at anything that you might have posted anywhere on the internet, without even asking you right now here on Skype, I know <laughs> that you don't think this movie is good. Because if you do think this movie is good, I have to I have to let you go right now. You can't be a part of MVP. I'm I'm sorry. I just don't I just I, no. I no yes, way. And it would be a deserved <laughs> dismissal uh, from your service if I actually <laughs> walked out this movie and liked it. Um, oh God, this movie. Let me tell you. You know, I think most people are sort of aware of the Rotten Tomato score. The critical praise has been very much on the negative side, and when you do look at that, you are a little interested to just see like, well, is the movie really that bad? Or people just maybe over exaggerating the, maybe they just have a lot of affection for the original film. And I can tell you with 100% honesty that pretty much from frame one of this movie, I knew I was going to hate it. What, what gave it away? Ian McShane throwing F-bombs into the opening voiceover with absolutely no passion and enthusiasm. And just, (laughs) <laughs> the, the setup of tone for this movie I knew was going to be something that was going to be grating, and, but at the same time also just not committal at all. And to me that's the biggest issue with this film is that it doesn't feel like it knows what type of movie it wants to be. It tries to go for something irreverent, but it never commits fully to that tone. It wants to be sort of like a, a horror film at times, but it never delivers so much in that style. And it just gets so bogged down with its own mythology that is never properly explained. And the world building is terrible. The characters are bad. The acting is bland. It it is just such a frustrating movie to watch. And really it is one of the worst movies I have seen in a very, very long time. Yeah. I mean, for me, I have to agree with you in terms of the screenplay. Let's start there actually, because Exposition was definitely a huge issue in this. They have this opening black and white uh, voiceover being done by Ian McShane. We're getting all this information behind Mila Jovinovich's character, who is Nimu. Is that her name? Sure. Let's go with that. (laughs) Whatever. The Blood Queen. That's that's all I'm going to call her throughout the rest of this. The Blood Queen. Because, like, that's a catchy nickname to remember. In any event, though, there's, like, this whole thing about her being... Executed by King Arthur, yes, that King Arthur, with Excalibur, yes, that sword, and being chopped up, placed in these crates, scattered throughout the world, and yet somehow she's still alive, and she has this hog-like being that's trying to help resurrect her. Oh, and also, too, the Nazis are somehow involved, and there's giant jaguars and deformed bodies, and I don't even know. God knows what else. This is a movie that I just feel like... They took a 12-year-old boy's fantasy and just threw everything at the wall, minus maybe uh, some gratuitous nudity. That's like the only thing that I feel like was lacking in this movie (laughs) as far as 
like a twelve year old boy's fantasy. Like you, you're not going to include a, a, a you know, a, a naked woman or something. Okay, fine. You're going to have everything else, but not that. I, I don't. Whatever. Because this movie literally, it feels like goes full tilt at times. Yeah, and and I would be okay with that if the movie did a proper enough job at its own world building, and that is where the big problem is, is that it introduces all of these elements in, in the film, but none of it feels properly established. You never get a sense of no, not the at rules all. that are happening, like what is the kind of balance between the humans and these monsters and what's the real threat going on. And like I wrote down at one point, I was like, are we supposed to have prior knowledge of the other Hellboy films while watching this? And does that even help? I, I, it doesn't <laughs> seem like it to me. I, I don't know no. what you're supposed to know <laughs> going into this film and to me i went in expecting a complete reboot and in doing so you need to then establish okay what are we dealing with in this world and you can't just introduce monsters and just be like okay yeah we we're just fighting giants now but we need more than that and if you don't supply that then at least for me i am just completely detached as to everything that's going on in the film right because what what's the uh, hook at that point it's supposed to be David Harbour's performance as this demon being who is trapped somehow between this fantastical world and the human world and doesn't exactly know where he has a place in all of this, essentially. And it's ultimately about him kind of discovering his destiny. Like, like there is a route that this could have gone where it could have been very honestly fantasy epic. Like I'm thinking I'm thinking like radar, you know, Game of Thrones style. Like, this could have been really, really cool. But instead, they try to go the Deadpool route. Mm -hmm. Trying to make him very wisecracking with these one-liners and these zingers that never land due to atrocious editing. Mm -hmm. I cannot emphasize enough how important editing is to helping comedy yes. in a movie. Yep. Crucial. This is another gold standard of that. <laughs> if you want to see how the film collapses in its comedy due to poor editing, this is your reference point. <laughs> well, it's that balancing of tones also that it just never really gets right. You know, you can have action and comedy and horror in one film, but you have to know when to land those punches. And the film just seems completely lopsided in the type of movie that it wants to be, and it never feels consistent in how you're supposed to feel at any given time and oh god it's just so bad nothing ever flows properly uh no, you know we, we talk about the screenplay and how things are not explained properly so you have that problem right then and there then you're also then just doing this really like i said poor editing job to help scenes flow into one another help jokes to land that doesn't work then on top of all that you just have like a huge, vast group of unmemorable performances. God or Satan bless David Harbour because I could tell he's actually trying. And I feel like this is where I'll... I know that a lot of the blame of this movie does not lay at the feet of Neil Marshall. I get that. But I will lay maybe some of the blame here just in terms of how he directs this performance because it seems to me like David Harbour does not know if he wants to fully be like, you know, Oscar caliber drama emoting at times through all this makeup, or if he's just trying to be this hulking, serious, badass type figure. And, and, you know, maybe to him that just comes across as, 
boring and doesn't have many layers. So he really does, it seemed like he is trying to add layers to this character with some dramatic heft, but it just, you're right, it just never, it never actually fits. Yeah, and I would actually say that almost all of the performances really just feel like everybody just showed up to set one day and did not get great yeah. direction on who these characters are supposed to be. And so you've got yep. everybody just sort of doing their own thing and nobody feels like they're consistently in the same movie together. And that is a big problem, again, with establishing a consistent tone for this film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally agree with you. And uh, I, I love Sasha Lane. I do. That's a horrible accent. Yeah. Absolutely horrible accent. Well, but then but then the character is also terrible, too. The character is terribly introduced into the film in the first place. Like, we have no idea who she is, and we're just expected to care about her. They give the backstory to her, like, a half an hour later, and it's like, what What are we doing? Like, why are you telling me who this character is after we've already spent so much time with her? It, this screenplay is a mess. There was a movie I saw earlier this year called The Kid Who Would Be King. Yep. And in that movie, Rebecca Ferguson plays a similar character to that, like, Mila Jovanovich plays in this. And I actually got a great amount of entertainment out of watching Rebecca Ferguson in that movie. Uh, she plays a character named Morgana, like a like this evil sorceress or whatever. And Mila Jovanovich is giving the same type of performance here, but it never lands. Not it's like I said, I, I don't know if I blame the actors as much but i think it's like a 50 50 thing where like you said josh the actors are not fully bringing it and the direction that they're giving is also not fully bringing it and and together they're not you know delivering at 100 percent. like there's not a single standout performance in this movie where i got the sense that an actor knew what kind of movie they were a part of and they were doing something a little bit different than everybody else and that was mildly entertaining i did not see anyone elevate the material they were given like, I, I couldn't. I tried to find a standout amongst this cast, and I could never find one. No, no. I, I think I would place just a little bit more blame on the writing and the direction. I think the actors are trying their best with what they're given. I think the problem is that they aren't given a single thing. And all the performances just seem like they're by people who are kind of out to sea and trying to glean at least one interesting thing and characteristic about who they're playing but obviously that's not enough. And every performance in this just comes across really is kind of bland and pretty wooden, unfortunately. Even I have to say David Harbour. And I like David Harbour and other stuff, but it just felt like he in this role was trying to go for somebody who was like, yeah, the wisecracking hero or more like anti-hero. But we've kind of seen that before. And I'm trying not to compare it too much to the original Hellboys, but when you step into Ron Perlman's shoes, that you got a tall order to fill, and unfortunately, that yeah. just didn't happen. I mean, like I said, I could see that there was some form of effort there, but it just never, ever comes across, and it does not establish that emotional connection that's needed to get invested in the story. And then you have... <laughs> Josh, I still can't get over that this is a scene in the movie. Thomas Hayden Church plays a Nazi hunter oh for one God. scene. Oh, my God. Oh, I completely <laughs> forgot about that. Like, I actually had to look up afterwards when I saw Thomas Hayden Church was in this, and I was like, who did he play? And I can't believe that he has a marquee billing for that one scene. 
it, it just truly is, like astonishes me where he's like branding people with his hand and th- this movie almost teeters into batshit insane territory at times where I felt like I could give myself over to it more and have fun with it. But like you were saying before, the film does not know whether to commit to that fully or not. And as a result, I can't commit fully. Yeah. And so I'm kind of just left meandering through the whole thing, hoping that at some point it just ends. Yeah, exactly. There are moments in this film where it does feel like it wants to be just over the top, camp, gory, like horror action comedy, just really the giant scene. The giant scene is the best example of that, I think. Yeah. Might be the best scene in the whole movie, maybe. Yeah, like that scene, and then there's a part at the end, too, when some monsters reveal themselves that... Uh, I See, now that I thought was attributing itself more to the gratuitous violence criticisms that this movie has received. I, I felt like that went on for way too long. Like, I got, the, I got that it was over the top, but once again, like, if you can't commit to a tone throughout and then you're going to have that in your third act at that point i'm just sitting there and i'm like that's a lot of blood and a lot of people that are dying for no reason and like there was another scene earlier before that where like a bunch of monks get killed and i'm like i I, this is like this is putting me off more than what i even saw in hotel mumbai for goodness sake (laughs) you're right because i also saw hotel mumbai and that was an easier sit than this was (laughs) But you're also correct in the notion that this movie, if it had committed to basically being, okay, look, we're going to be a super violent, ultra gory action film that is really irreverent. Okay, you know, that's not everybody's cup of tea, but at least that would have been committing to the type of movie they wanted to make. And that's not what you get consistently all the way through. And it's just this mismatch of of these stories that they want to tell that sometimes it goes really dark and gory, but then it wants to be like lighthearted and it never balances it very well. And it is just an utter failure and a mess. Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, I was pretty amazed that this movie contained so many elements that in another movie would have propelled it maybe to greatness if it just committed to that tone. Like I was saying before, you got giants, you've got severed limbs, you've got Lucha Libre, (laughs) you've got CG creatures, you've got like this dark aesthetic. And you know what? I'll actually throw, I will concede. And I actually am not going to rate this movie my lowest rating humanly possible for one reason and one reason only. And that is because some of the, the design of this movie... Yes, it's got absolutely poorly rendered visual effects. Yes. But but the makeup and the production design at times, I, I actually thought those were two elements of this movie where I could tell that those people who had those jobs were having quite a bit of fun with what they were given to play with in this world. Yeah, I, I will grant you that, yes, the, the makeup and production design elements are solid. Um I still don't find them to be that remarkable, though. And No, no, no. I don't either. I'm just saying that it wasn't total, utter dog shit. <laughs> no. I mean, it, it, it's, competent, it's a competent makeup job that you see. And, in fact, there's one in particular that I think is really well done with this, like, old, uh, like... Oh, the deformed face and the body and everything? Yeah, it's sort of like a... Yeah, that was awesome. Like a grim fairy tale... <laughs> 
creature with like these missing limbs and and then like that whole scene takes place like also too in this house that's on these legs and like i i was that's the scene in the movie actually josh where i actually wrote the note down and i said yeah production design and uh makeup is pretty freaking creative in this at times you know yeah it's very well done in that moment the unfortunate thing is that that moment and that whole scene feels so out of place we get there by means that I can't really understand that we just happen to come into this scene with no explanation and Mm -hmm. we're getting spouted this exposition that is also not properly set up from a character that we've barely seen. So it's just like, what are we doing here? And like, yeah, it's impressive what I'm looking at, but the context in which I'm looking at it is so bizarre and confusing to me. Now, have you looked up at all? Because I, I haven't looked this up. Andrew Cosby, who wrote this movie, have you looked up if there were anyone else brought in to do revisions or anything like that at all? I have not, but it would not shock me either. Because that's what this comes off like at times. This really does come off like this is a movie where there were just truly too many cooks in the kitchen. Yeah. And something got lost in translation, either in screenwriting, definitely, actually, no, definitely in screenwriting, then in shooting, probably. Uh, because by all accounts, from everything that I've heard, I, 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 I'm, I'm assuming that this is true. This is apparently not Neil Marshall's movie or not the movie that he intended to make. Mm-hmm. That's basically what I have received so far as far as reading some articles about the production behind this movie. And then, like we were saying before, he wasn't even involved in the final edit of the film. And I think the editing in this movie speaks for itself. Then you have these half-assed visual effects shots where I swear to you, Every single visual effect shot looked god-awful to me. God-awful. Yeah, there, there's a couple, really, that look like... That almost look half-finished, to be honest. I, I, can name, I can name two, really quickly, off the top of my head. There's one where a helicopter is uh, docking. I think it's at the BPRD, if I remember correctly. Yeah. I, I, I could be wrong, but... There was that, and then there was another shot of Hellboy running away from the Giants, and you could just so tell he's doing it in front of a green screen, and the lighting doesn't match, and it just looks awful. <laughs> yeah, there's some shots with like his arm, too, that look completely out of place, and yeah, the, the effects in this movie are pretty pretty horrendous. <laughs> I still don't understand the physics behind the opening in the Lucha Libre setting where he throws this one character and the character gets impaled. And it's like the angle that he is thrown at and how he lands and with such minimal force, I literally do not understand how this character gets impaled. Yeah, like the only thing that <laughs> ran through my mind is, well, maybe they're like the the vampires in From Dust Till Dawn, where they got really soft skin. <laughs> like, my that's God, the only thing I could think of. Like I, I found myself trying to make sense of so much of this movie, where instead I should have just been getting lost in the story and the myth- mythology and everything else behind it, but. Man, like I said. Well, but you can't do that because the movie doesn't provide you enough of the, of the story and the mythology to get lost in. Like, yeah. to me, like I'm going to be honest with you. The original Hellboy movies, I don't consider them to be masterpieces at all. I think they're fine. No. But what Del Toro knows how to do really well is give you a sense of the world that you're in. So that, yeah, maybe the stories in, in those movies aren't the most compelling. At least you get a sense of where these characters are and what they're dealing with in these moments. And this movie just never establishes that. And that 
above anything else is the most frustrating and annoying thing while you're watching this film. <sighs> Sigh. Oh, God. How many Hail Marys do we have to do for putting ourselves through this? I mean, I, I deserve some serious penance for uh, <laughs> sitting through this thing. <laughs> Let me ask you a question. What did you give up uh, in order to see this? Well, you know what? It's not really a question. Was it, was it like between two movies and you saw that this was the podcast review and you were like, all right, I guess, I guess I'll, I'll take one for the team. <laughs> well, when I saw that nobody else really raised their hand really quickly to review this movie on the podcast, I decided to fall on that grenade for, for you, Matt. Well, hey, you know what? I have to say, you, this is now, uh, to my recollection in 2019, the second time this has happened. Last time was Captive State, right? Yeah. And... The more unfortunate thing is actually that uh, I saw this a couple days after I saw Pet Cemetery, and Ooh, I yeah I wasn't offended at that. Yeah, I hated that movie too. And when I walked out of Pet Cemetery, I thought, well, this is clearly the worst movie I'm gonna see so far this year. Like this is pretty bad. And then I walked out of Hellboy, and it's like, nope, that bottom of the barrel <laughs> that did it. <laughs> <laughs> Now, I've had some bad luck this year uh, with quite a lot of films, actually, like with Serenity, The Upside, This. Uh, yeah, I didn't like Pet Cemetery, but not not as much as I disliked this, though. Um, no. Yeah, and it's interesting, too, because I'm like, we're in April. Shouldn't we be getting, like, better shit in April right now? Like, ugh, like it's not January, February. What's going on here? <laughs> yeah, th this movie, oh, man. I, like we have been saying, it just feels so confused as to what type of movie it wants to be. It never feels like it has any consistency in tone or storytelling. And my God, does it also have just long stretches of being just utterly boring too. Maybe even the most merciful thing that this movie does is that when it ends, it just ends. Yeah, like it ends and, so abruptly. <laughs> and again, like there's parts of that ending that I thought, okay, taken as just a part of its own, could be sort of fun in a very over-the-top way, but that just isn't in the rest of the movie, so that by the time you get to it, it's like, man, this is, like, really gory and violent, but I can't even enjoy it on, like, just a visceral uh, horror movie level because that's not what this movie really is in the first place. Oh, I know what you're... Okay, I was wondering what you, what you were talking about, and you're talking about the actual final scene with the, with the fight and everything, right, with all the characters and everything? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Gotcha. Because I was, um, I was referencing like the scene right before that when it, there's like a pullout shot and the characters are like kind of embracing each other in the aftermath of everything. And it's like, oh my God, like it's going to end that quickly. And then yes, we do get this scene afterwards. And I have to say too, I, I agree with you a little bit there, Josh, in the sense that I wish that that was the tone that the whole movie had taken throughout. And I and, and it's like, oh, too little, too late. Oh, what could have been? And then they have the audacity to end the movie on this cliffhanger moment where, I mean, it's the reveal of, um, what is it? Uh, oh, my God, I'm going to get this right. Hold on. Abe Sapien. Um, was that? Is it uh, Abe Sapien? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think so, right? Isn't that, isn't that what we're supposed to make of that, right? I, well, it says something Sapien. It's like something. Yeah, so it's got it's got to be Abe Sapien then. Okay. So, yeah, and then um, then there's like a – Josh, did you stay for a mid, the mid-credit scene? Because I didn't. I stayed for the mid-credit. I don't know if there's something at the very end because I was just annoyed at the mid-credits already. And it's like I don't want to sit through any more of this. I heard that there was a post-credit scene and I just didn't care. All I kept thinking was they have the audacity to try to set up a sequel. Don't they know? 
Like, don't they know what they had here? Yeah. They could have. They, they honestly just should have ended it and just released it out in the world as a mercy killing. Yeah, I, I feel like it's what it actually has now become. I, I don't know if the receptions of this movie is going to be very positive, so I hope that this just... Oh, it ain't. Yeah. It ain't. I hope this... <laughs> Although, I will say I saw it in IMAX last night, and my screening was pretty full. Well, I think that that character does have a fan base and uh, a following to it. It's just this movie does not do him any justice at all. No, not at all. Oh, man. So uh, I've only got one final thought, and that is that I think the soundtrack was very uninspired as well. And some of the music cues that they choose to go with in this movie, I just thought were pandering and didn't didn't work as well as I wanted it to. It reminded me many times while watching, it reminded me a lot of like Transformers. Yeah. And how that was like the gold standard for me for a long time in terms of this is everything I hate about big budget blockbuster filmmaking. Well, Hellboy is not big budget. It's only like $50 million or something like that. But in terms of just trying to craft a blockbuster and you're doing these action scenes with this music and everything, and it's clearly just, it's so weird that it's this rated R film that's catered towards teenagers who have to be accompanied by an adult to see it anyway, you know? (laughs) Yeah. And I get it. That's like what Deadpool did to a certain degree, but, you know, Deadpool had a singular vision behind it. This does not. And that's just a very unfortunate case that we're in. I, I, I would just say as a final thought here, stick with the originals. The Del Toro films, they're not masterpieces like you said, Josh, but they're they're good. They're not great, but they're they're good. Yeah. Especially Golden Army. I really like Golden Army. Yeah, I think Golden Army is actually better than the first film. And I agree. Yeah. yeah, those those movies, I would never call them like great works of cinema at all, but for what they're attempting to accomplish, there is a consistency to them. I mean, they're directed by Guillermo del Toro, so chances are they're not going to be terrible. And, right. And they have that at least over this just pile of garbage. <sighs> all right. Great out of 10. Well, Matt, I'm going to do something I have never done on this podcast before. I am going one out of 10. Woo-hoo-hoo, yeah. And I have, I've never uh, gone that low before, but I, I have to tell you, walking out of this film, I felt just such a level of resentment and disgust at what I had seen that I had not felt in quite some time, so oh man, I'm going I love at it. The lowest possible rating I can. I'm like I'm reenacting that scene in Goodfellas when he walks out of the courtroom and they're like, "Hey, you popped your cherry!" <laughs> <laughs> uh, hey, you know what? Every now and then we got to do shows like this here on the podcast just to prove to people that we are human and I'm biased. <laughs> yes. You know, sometimes you got to get slapped in the face just to know you're alive. Not to mention, too, I also really find, like I said before. I find that there are lessons to be learned in watching movies that don't work. And it actually helps me to appreciate the movies that do work so much more. Like if I just watched everything that I know I'm always going to like all the time, I would actually become pretty numb to it, I feel like, after a while. Yeah, you can't like everything because if you like everything, you will never know what something truly great is. You know, you kind of need the balance. And to be honest with you, I do try not to be so negative when I talk about films, even stuff that I don't really like. I I want to try to be more positive. I, I like putting that out there in the world, but sometimes there's just a movie that comes along that I just can't, I, you know, I can't muster that. And 
I can talk about the potential that a movie might have had, but ultimately, if it fails as hard as this one does, I I just can't sugarcoat it, sadly. Yeah, I'm going to go. You know, it's funny because I actually (laughs) it's very rare that I have to go back and forth between a one and a two. (laughs) (laughs) And yeah, I say to myself, like, okay, which one, which one, which one? I think I am going to settle on a two. It's one of the year's worst films I have ever seen. But I don't know if I would give it that one status of worst of all time. Like that's and that's to me like how I view the rating scale. And I don't know if I would just I don't know if I'm willing to go that far yet. But I think in time. I would probably go down lower. <laughs> I mean, look, between a two and a one, like, whatever one you pick, it's a terrible movie. <laughs> it's like it's like whenever we have the debates about nine or ten. <laughs> exactly. Like, <laughs> bottom line is that it's an awful movie that you should not see. <laughs> yeah, I totally agree. Go see Missing Link instead. Exactly. Gosh, I really hope that uh, nobody from Lionsgate is listening to this right now. Well, I think people from Lionsgate <laughs> kind of know what's up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Alrighty, well, Josh Parm, uh, you are a godsend. Thank you so much for joining me for this. I, I do my best. Yeah, seriously. Where can they find you on the internet? Uh, well, you can find me recovering from this movie uh, on Twitter at JR Parham. And you can find me at Next Best Picture. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to our review of Hellboy here on the Next Best Picture podcast. It was hell for these two boys today, but hey, we got through it. In any event... You can subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, Player FM, Acast, CastBox, and also on Spotify. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support that you can offer us. Head on over to Patreon, where for $1 minimum a month, you can get some exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you once again for listening. As always, we shall see you all next time. <laughs>